0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Black on Black Education podcast. Again, back with me, Eva Jean Charles, founder of Black on Black Education. And today you're going to be hearing a conversation between myself and Miss Monique Roshan. Tonight's conversation was such an incredible insight from a person who has had um, a multitude of career trajectory changes. And someone who's coming into the classroom and coming into a school space as a part of a commitment to culture and cultivating school culture and so we talked about police in schools we talked about culturally responsive pedagogy we talked about the work and i think you are all going to really enjoy this conversation it was insightful i learned so much and we really got into the nitty-gritty and the nuance of what needs to happen to be here for these students and to make them feel holistically well so if you're an educator who's been asking yourself that question this episode is a part of that answer. I can't wait to hear what you guys think about it. Enjoy. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Black on Black Education podcast. As always, I'm going to allow our guests to introduce themselves to you.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Monique Roshan,
0: um, and I'm excited to be talking with you today. (laughs) Yes. All right. So we're going to kind of start with you having the opportunity who say what brought you to the podcast, right? So where is your space in education currently? And um, how'd you get there? A little bit about your just trajectory to education.
1: Sure. Okay. So um, one, I'll tell everyone how we met. And we met through a social emotional um, learning type of workshop. It was a remote workshop because we're here during COVID while all of these um, remote things are in the, the running. So I uh, recently graduated from a master's program with a master's in education with a focus in curriculum and instruction, and I landed a job um, as a cultural associate and behavior support specialist at a K-8 school, and I will be starting in just a week. Um, now. So that's the space I'm, I'm moving into in education. Um, coming from higher ed, where I worked with college students um, as a part of my assistantship for my grad program, um, particularly in student rights and responsibilities, which is the conduct office at the university. Um, so it's, it's also an area where um, we practice more restorative practices for students that were um, having some things going on, whether it was drug and alcohol use, um, roommate conflicts, th- those type of things. Um, prior to 2018, I um, was a police officer in Washington DC for six years. Um, and then prior to that, when I graduated from undergrad, I taught uh, preschool for two years. So I've always had this, um, type of passion and love for community and education. And um, as a younger child, I I really wanted to be an attorney. And obviously that, that didn't happen. I don't know what the piece was for me in there that shifted, um, but I did after um, getting my bachelor's in DC, I went to Howard. So after getting my bachelor's, I got it in administration of justice and political science and knew while I was doing that, that I wanted to go into some type of law enforcement um, but I I volunteered a lot with the early childhood program called Jumpstart at Howard. So that's what kind of connected me to the education piece. But while I was teaching, um, I was also preparing to go into law enforcement, so exercising and getting myself ready for the academy. And it's something that I did pursue um, two years after teaching pre-K. Um, I think what really like brings me to the space that I'm in now One, I've always, after being on the police department very early on too, I would say within my first year or two, I was like, I, something here is missing for me. And I knew that very early on and still tried to be a part of different units that might have brought that to me. Like, oh, I, I get to do this with the community or be a part of this. Um, and there was always something missing and I finally, um, had an experience that like lit a fire under me that said no i I know I need to be doing more and I want to go back into education I want to pursue a master's and whether it's education or social work, I wanted it something along um those lines and i I landed on education and it was the perfect time to make that transition in my life and
0: and here I am <laughs> you are I love it I love it and so that incredibly beautiful title that you are going to hold in the next week um Mm -hmm. i think is is important for us to talk about and we're definitely going to get into that later but i kind of just want to put a pin in the conversation around that transition um Mm -hmm. in your career path because many um times on the podcast we've seen folks uh have a very non-traditional path to education and Mm so um what was it, or what is it about um, the change for you? Mm-hmm. What is it about that change that um, makes you feel ready and prepared mm-hmm. uh, to walk into the classroom? Or you're not going to be in the classroom in a traditional sense, but to walk into the school building.
1: Right, right. That's a really good point and question. Um, so I think one for me, I can reflect back on my time in the police department and thinking about, situations i was in scenes i was in conversations i had with partners and how we were doing we would see the same people over and over that we would come in to contact with and i will always say like what arresting this person is not going to to change anything <laughs> we're actually just like cycling through um this system that exists here and a lot of us were on the same page with that and i i can bring that same thing to education like punitive um consequences if that's what we're going to call them are not effective and in in my opinion and I mean there's research out there that can back that up as well but when you think about children and children being kicked out of classrooms and sent to in school suspension and what are they doing in those spaces that are cultivating their social and emotional um learning and these are children who are going to be someday adults and the way that they're handled is going to be a reflection of, of them into their adulthood. So I think coming into the K through eight space with that awareness is, is propels me in a way that's, that's going to help me be ready for what's to come. And Mm -hmm. also in a way that I'll be able to um, be in conversation with other educators, because I know that there'll be a, teach for America educators, there'll be, you know, urban fellows, this and that, and different types of educational, um, also institutions that cycle recent college grads into, um, you know, inner city schools. And a lot of people are not prepared for what they're actually going to be encountering and, and having the mindset that these students are human beings and we need to treat them with dignity and care. And they, they need to feel, um, like it's a space without judgment there has to be some safety in there and in there for them so i think just that awareness alone um and putting it to practice is is really going to be a good thing for me to do
0: absolutely absolutely and so i think that gives us a really great segue into my next question which is what are your thoughts as a former police officer current educator on police officers being in the school building
1: Sure. I, this is a really good question. I'm be really honest with you. It's something I haven't had a conversation with about like with any of my friends, there's all these things going on. We've had lots of conversations most recently, but um, not specifically about police officers in schools. Um, I know several, they call them SROs in DC. Yeah. I know several of them. Um, and from my experience, those are the, those are the officers that, um, I want to say, are able to to talk and reach students in ways that some of the educators are not. And again, that's from my experience, and that's from a very isolated experience in one place with a handful of officers. So um, I say that with a critical lens. That is not every student's experience, and that's not every parent's experience with um, police officers and in the school. So I think that's something that needs to be evaluated. I see a lot of posts about take them out of the schools, and even some cities most recently are, you know, taking those programs out of their schools. And I will also say, like, um, (laughs) one thing that that interested me as a child is is a detective. It was a woman detective who would come in and do the Dare program, and um, she was a Latino woman in the town that I grew up in. Um, But I also know that my experience growing up with an officer in my school is not everybody's Mm -hmm. experience Mm -hmm. Um, and also officers in schools often have um, very different responsibilities than officers that might be in patrol or other units and the way that people are experiencing them um, is it's not in positive ways so to to kind of have have students try to separate the two um, is going to be a very challenging and difficult thing especially most recently I, I know there's probably a more recent thing, but the last thing I saw was um, about an officer in a school it was in Orlando, Florida, I think, and it was a young um, black young lady and something happened with her teachers and the teacher ended up putting her in one of the administrator's office. And all I was thinking throughout watching this whole video, like I swear my blood was boiling is that this young lady is being cycled through educator administrator. And between all of y'all, nobody could do anything, could have any type of connection or relational bond with this student that didn't require you to call in law enforcement officers who completely did they, it was horrible. The way they handled it was absolutely horrible. So that that can't happen. So when I look at that and I see that and knowing that my experience is not everyone else's, it hasn't been everyone else's experience, um, that, that's not acceptable. And we don't need that in our schools. So if that's what's happening, that's a real uh, conversation that needs to be happen, uh, happening among schools um, with their partnerships or however it works with law
0: enforcement. Absolutely. Um, no, I appreciate that. Not the the nuance that you bring to that conversation, right. Um, as someone who has worked in that field, um, the, the idea that someone who is supposed to stop crime is now in a school where kids are supposed to learn. I, it's like, well, why does this need to exist in this capacity here? And then you see kind of all of the different, um, stats that are coming out about how many more police officers there are in schools than there are counselors and restorative justice experts and like so then you keep going down the line so it's i think the nuance that you brought to that that was so incredible is the the idea that our experiences are all incredibly different and what bringing a police officer into a school in a upper middle class neighborhood what that feels like and what it feels like to have a police officer in your school when you go to a low-income um school in a community of color how different those two things can be it's absolutely um necessary in this conversation about get police officers out of out of schools because we have to understand that the people who aren't hearing you when you say that we shouldn't have police officers in schools have a very different experience with police officers in their schools yes. you know I mean? so so i I really appreciated you bringing that nuance into it
1: and I would add to and um thinking about the officers in this Orlando incident that happened last year is like the way that they handled that young lady I mean she couldn't have been more than seven and probably younger I don't remember the article that I read in the video um but the way they handled her says a lot about the way they handled that community and those are the things that have to be looked at in terms of the new the nuance of it all why would that be anyone's reaction to a child? Period, <laughs> in any circumstances. Why would that be your reaction to a child? And if that's the way you're willing so eagerly to treat a child, how do you treat the adults? And um, and I think that's a real conversation. Um, I mean, these conversations have been happening, but it's a real um, magnifying glass that needs to be put on. Like all the conversations about reallocating funds from police departments into education, into housing, into food security projects counseling therapy social work all of these things it's really important and also identifying the inequities within the education system because if we want more social workers and counselors we need to send people to college so it it heightens the socioeconomic status and where do people get the fundings so that they can go and pursue these things that they want to do and it's like ugh, just a never-ending conversation that's all rooted in
0: one system and there it is (laughs) absolutely absolutely so let's kind of close out the conversation about the big giant system Uh, it's just so hard and so it is is. for hours and start Mm -hmm. to like shrink it in to one particular school one particular school who's going to have the honor of you teaching at or working at i should say Mm -hmm. um let's talk a little bit specifically about that position and what drew you to that position Mm -hmm. and kind of what it entails and and what other schools can learn from there being a position such as this in a K through eight school
1: sure so I will tell you a little backstory when I resigned from the police department I wrote down in my journal I will be a dean of culture and I had looked at that title all over DC while I was on the um department and I was like I want to do this job like I want to be a part of building a culture that is a safe and positive environment for students to learn in. And everything said you needed a master's degree. And I had been looking and looking and looking forever. And it was like master's degree, master's degree. So when I think about this position, I will tell you, one, it's, required at first an associate's degree on the job description when i applied and i was like maybe it's a typo because the responsibilities seem like it it required a little bit more than that i was like i'm i'm applying for this job i i read the description and it used the words restorative justice practices and they talk specifically about students like holistic being like their well-being and i was drawn to that and i'm like yes these these professionals are interested in developing whole students. These are people, these are human beings. It's not just about your academic success, but your ability to communicate that you're not feeling well today, or I'm not feeling it without, you know, it being in a way that is unhealthy for you and the other students in the room. So those particular words um, are what stuck out to me. And um, yeah, that, that was really it. And then I ended up having an interview with the with the school and I was able to do some different performance tasks. Um, I will also say the behavior support piece at the end was important to me because I feel like just who I am in general is a a person who is able to support whatever initiative is going on when it's rooted in integrity and responsibility and helping other people. And I'm like, I'm I don't want to be in the classroom teaching every day. I I know that's not the role that I want, but I can help teachers. I can guide help guide them and work together with them. So that support piece um, really helped and beyond teachers, but the families that I'll be communicating with and the partnerships with students and and giving them this like kind of check-in culture, like find somebody in the building that they know they can trust. And hopefully it's all of us, hopefully it's more than one of us, but we know children in general, just like adults, we might gravitate to certain people. And from the description, I just felt like I would be given the opportunity to have opinions that were valued um, mm. and that I would be able to kind of I don't know, lay down some of the groundwork for what this culture would be at Mm. the school, because it's a new position. So I know what that's going to come, you know, what other people might think it is. But I, I've grad school taught me if it taught me nothing, it's that I have the autonomy to, to kind of develop some things on my own with with the team. So I'm looking forward to that.
0: I am I'm looking forward to checking back in and kind of yes. seeing what that looks like and what that feels like uh because when we talked about that in our pre-call I was just like dean of culture like that is dope like the, the idea that there's someone's job to that is co- a commitment to how people are going to feel when they walk into a building like f- think about that for a second and so I I implore folks who are listening to this to just kind of think about Am I saying that you're going to be a school who can just create a new position? Maybe not, but how can you implement those things into, into positions that already exist? That's and true. a commitment to creating a culture in a school where, again, kids feel holistically well, they feel holistically seen. Um, I, I absolutely love that. Yes. And so, um, taking a step and looking at the demographic of students in which you have worked in, in the past mm-hmm. and working with now. Um, your commitment is really in that early childhood education sort of space. And so what do you feel like is not true currently of the education system and that needs to be true of the education system as it pertains to what children need um, in terms of early childhood education and development? Mm, that's such a good, a good question. Whew, goodness. <laughs> it's Ooh, big. I, I got to back question. on that one because there's many things.
1: Um, well, one, um I think that in early child education and I don't know how everyone else's experience is but I think that parents really need to be incorporated in a lot of the conversations parents and the students I mean and and K through 8th I mean students can tell you what they need and what they want and and how do you engage teachers who sometimes don't live in the community in which they teach in things that the community values or in the things that, the, that are important to the community. So I would say some type of way to bridge these gaps that exist, like how do you build a culture of trust with parents and transparency with them so that they're coming to the PTO meetings or, you know, the one-on-one meetings that you have every quarter about their child or that you know enough about them to know they're working multiple jobs and they might just need a phone call or they might be able to schedule, you know, a 10 minute FaceTime with you and they can't actually be in the building. So I think really those things obviously can happen at the system level, but it's going to start with the individuals that work within it and, and having some, um, Compassion and empathy, and also just care for like the relational aspect of what exists in your role as an educator. Like we're not robots; we don't need to go by our daily schedules, you know, tick by tick. Um, sometimes we have to all all the time, really. We need to be meeting people um, halfway, and I think that if we do that, if we get parents on board, and more like this communal aspect to to student learning, um, we could go far.
0: Absolutely. I love that. And so I'm going to ask you a very similar question um, about what needs to be true for school culture and how school students should come to school feeling and um, being heard and just how they can holistically be developed.
1: Sure. So um, my supervisor actually sent me. So my supervisor is actually the dean of culture and I'm the associate. So um, we have this running joke is like, I want your job one day, but it's good that I can be your, your. she can be my supervisor. So she sent me a book that the staff had been reading. Um, and it talks about relationships, responsibility, and regulation, like how we help students learn how to regulate um, their emotions without it being like something that decides the whole mood for the child for the whole day, the whole mood for the teacher for the whole day. So I think something that Um, Exist at least for me in terms of culture is being able to look inward and say what bias do I come with into any setting with anyone else my students their parents and looking inward and saying challenging myself like why do you feel that way and how does that serve your students like because a lot of the times like if we would just create a structure that was consistent for our students so they know when they come in This time, this is what we're doing, or this day of the week, this is what we're doing, um, that they can have like this calmness and know I have have a flow of it, of what the day is going to be like. And I think that's a huge component of building a culture where students can feel safe. And also, again, going back to like this relational piece of building community with them they have to be able to trust you so how do you build that foundation tell the truth we have to tell the truth about things be honest you're a human being as their teacher as an instructor you have a mom a dad a guardian a parent and those are conversations students um need to know they need to know that it's okay to share like miss roshan i'm not feeling it today like i've had a rough morning but how do we provide them the tools that they can articulate those things instead of letting um feelings or a rough morning fester in them. So I think really allowing children, giving them permission really to be vulnerable and to share their feelings and know that they're coming into a space where they're not going to be judged is, is gotta be the foundation to build
0: a a culture for them. Absolutely. That's a lot. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like so much more, you know, because I was sitting here stuck because it's just so much then um, yes. so little at the same time. Right. Like think about how easy it should be yeah. um, to to right. just want to look on students. Right. Mm-hmm. Like how easy it should be for people to be like, today is hard and like be comfortable and sit in that and, and have someone be receptive of mm-hmm. that feeling or of that way that you're showing up that day. Yeah.
1: That is such a good point because in my mind too, I'm always like, this is so simple. It, it is when you say it, but then you think about who makes up a building of teachers, of educators, and where they come from and what bias or what prejudice they have or what kind of morning they had in traffic and who, what's going on in their family and what they bring. So it's really, it starts with us, like, right. and that's hard. That's hard work that we have to do within ourselves and say, when I cross this threshold every morning, whatever happened in that traffic I could tell the class I had a rough day in traffic and it really made me angry this morning and then move on because that's that's what you have to do because that's going if you sit in that you're gonna be mad that so-and-so is talking in the back of the classroom and then lash out on them and that's not the culture we're trying to cultivate in a classroom in a school building or in a school district so it it is hard and it is a lot but we got to be intentional
0: <laughs> and it is yeah, absolutely. And it's just that, that piece of modeling behavior, modeling the behavior you want students to to um, take on. Because again, we forget that kids are with us as educators much, much more than they are with their families and their parents. Mm-hmm. And so it's so critical that you take on this responsibility around a child and what a child needs right Right. Right. um because it's just as much the school's responsibility as it is the parents responsibility and as much as parents should be really taking a huge role in their child's education again school is so much of a child's life we can't separate those two so it's absolutely critical that we have someone who's committed um, to school culture. Yeah.
1: I, I love that you talked about need because that's another conversation that that builds culture too and thinking about behavior talking about behavior versus a student's need because they might be acting out in a way that triggers you as their teacher as a classroom teacher but zoning in on what the actual need is in that moment is it's what's going to get us away from calling whoever to get this child out of the classroom or I I can't deal with this today because they're disrupting my classroom. Okay. But so it's jogging our minds to think of what, what happened in this classroom three minutes before this that triggered that student's response Mm -hmm. and what is their need in that? So it's really going to be a lot of, um, zoning in on who we are, what we do, what we say, and how we say it and, and how we present. And that's gonna be challenging for a lot of people, especially I'm I'm new in the building. So that's gonna be real challenging for someone to come up in there new. And I look a lot younger than I am too. And that's always been another another thing for me. But um that that's on me to also come come to people and let them know they're not on an island by themselves. Like I'm in this with you. So I I want to be there to support people um but also hold them accountable for the way that we engage with
0: students absolutely let's kind of start getting to the over the hump of our our conversation to begin to talk about um this this trigger word that's that's just flying around everywhere as it pertains to education Mm -hmm. um so crp culturally relevant pedagogy uh it is just everybody's trying to Mm -hmm. get a consultant that can come in their school to help figure they're ready to figure out okay um especially schools that are not low income right so or not not in communities of color there's a lot of places that are saying oh snap like we really need to be doing and supporting our students of color in the same caliber that we have been uh for our white students so let's just take that into crp what what is it what does it feel like um, to have a culturally relevant um, classroom right oh goodness Mm -hmm.
1: oh lordy i just sat through um american university had a a remote conference through their anti-racism research center and the theme this year was um uplifting women um, and girls of color through practice policy and pedagogy. And it was excellent. And again, though, like you're saying, this is the buzz. This is the buzz. So how do we put it to practice? And I think for one is bringing our students into this conversation. Like what do students want to have a conversation about? They know what's going on in the world. Like in bringing in like some I don't know, consultant that hasn't worked with these students is not going to help teachers be able to latch on to a curriculum or a new research theory um, and teach it to students. Because these students, we are, we are black women, we are the experience. We are, we have it already in us. So it's like these students already have these conversations in their mind they're having them with their friends they're having them with their family so where's the round table that brings them in and just says let this is happening right now in the world what, what are your feelings around this or bringing in the social issues that are going on right now and having students pick one that they want to focus on and present it into the classroom let them do their own research let them be critical and making their own opinions about all the things and systems and policies that are are going on today I just think, like, there needs to be more, like, real grounding into this versus, like, who's the top one that we can pay to get in here because we're we're not doing this right? Like, that's like a I, I don't even know. That's just, it brings chaos to my mind to think we're going to pay all these people money. And also, if we are going to pay, pay some Black women to come up in these schools. There's plenty of them on my Instagram feed that can talk to you about culturally relevant, relevant pedagogies and pay them and let them come into the schools and engage with parents and teachers, instructors, administrators, um, not just consultants who have have studied black children or students of color. Um, let Let it be from the people who actually live it and experience it because they're the ones that know and they're the ones that can Provide you with language and practice so that you can hopefully reach students in a way that's meaningful.
0: Absolutely. I hope I
1: answered. I feel like I went off.
0: It's so huge. I still don't understand it fully. And I think that that is such a key piece to the conversation, right? If we want to add cultural relevance, cultural competency um, to the curriculum, it is a never ending process. It's something that you have to consistently be committed to. And, And so I say all that to say that in this conversation about CRP, neither you nor I nor the vast majority of people on the planet are experts in CRP to the standard that they need to be experts, right? So there are some people who can say that they're an expert because they got a PhD in X, Y, and Z. But then there's people who have really experienced the praxis of culturally relevant pedagogy and understand what that can do for students and how that can create um, a culture and a feeling in a building that allows students to to reach their highest potentials in terms of their academics. So I just want to talk a little bit about that particularly, that piece about the connection between uh, um, an incredible school culture and academic excellence.
1: Mm, that's, that is, I feel like that's a piece that I'm going to be learning in a lot of ways as I go because one learning about the students and where they are in terms of so I, I moved from Tampa Florida to Louisiana so learning about what the state requirements are for especially, especially fifth through eighth graders who I know I will be working with um and what is what does that mean for them like do we have um, extended programs for them, for students that might want to um, stay after with teachers? Like, does that, do we work on something that is, that's going to help a student meet the, their goal and the state goal, but obviously their their goal as well? Um, I think that's something that I would love to check back in with you about and and seeing mm-hmm. how, how that, how I'll be able to navigate that, because I think a lot of times the state standard in terms of academics, we focus on that, like that student success, that is how we're going to get them college ready, which is a whole nother language that hurts mm-hmm. me. But how, how do we, we also focus on that But we focus on developing them as a whole person, um, yeah. because those things are intertwined. Like if a student hasn't eaten and they're not sleeping, they're not going to perform in the academic realm that, that they may have a goal to, to reach. And they're not going to meet, reach that standard. Um, in a way that's conducive for their whole well-being. So I think that's something I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like um but I I do know that I I'm going to bring a critical lens to that and how that's pushed in the in the within the school. Um and I've noticed little things like even within our mission the word rigor and things like that and and how those are problematic in a lot of ways when you look at them in certain lenses. What does that mean for
0: our students? So I'll check back in with you on it. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's you hear that we have to have a part two yes. <laughs> so kind it. of again come to my last question. Okay. I want to talk for a second a little bit about that college ready um, mindset and, and what it does and how it frames the way that educators believe that they need to teach and mm-hmm. um, so, talk a little bit about why it irks you, and then move into like what the replacement is, and and why that is necessary um, to be invested in. Sure,
1: I think that one. I started my college career at a community college, and I trans end up transferring to Howard. So, um, there's all types of myths about community college. So, what is college ready? Like, there's nothing I feel like that prepared me for my experiences in college. Nothing besides maybe just starting and finishing. The little things in life, and I think when we beat that into children's mind, we're telling them they're less than if college is not something that's on mm-hmm. that they want to mm-hmm. pursue, um, or if they don't attend a specific college, that that they're less than. they're we're devaluing them. And how about we meet students where they are, right where they are, and the grade they are when we encounter them, and and get them from one place to the next, like one year at a time, one day at a time um, versus trying to decide the next 10 years of their life. Um, And I experienced a lot of, obviously, these conversations at University of South Florida where I attended grad school and working with undergrads and just hearing how stressed out they were because they wanted to graduate in three years to meet these, this metrics that the school, um, like pilots themselves on. It's, 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 it's national um, statistics that uh, students graduate in this amount of years. So I just think that's a pressure that students don't need. They don't deserve that. Um, what is college ready? I mean, I, I, I don't know what that is. I don't. And I feel like it changes depending on whatever school you're looking at. No, I want them to be ready for the world that's what I want them to have some some basic lifelong skills that are going to allow them to be able to make rational decisions for themselves whatever they are decisions that they decide that they want to do x y and z and to be able to advocate for themselves and communicate in a way that is healthy for them and their families their loved ones the people that are around them so yeah that that's we need to prepare them for be world ready not just college
0: ready that's mm -mm. Absolutely. And I think that that's right where we put a pin in it. Let's let's go out college ready and replace it with world ready. I I love it. it. I love it. I love it. Um, And so as always round out the episode, I give you the opportunity to ask me any questions that you want and flip the script and you become the interviewer. I love it. Okay. So one, the question that um, I want to know first is what grades are
1: you working with?
0: Yes, so I'm going to be working with students who are overcredited or overaged, um, mm-hmm. in the South Bronx. Very good. Um, and so it's not a perfect age range, but it's high school secondary education. Okay,
1: very good. And oh, this is an interesting group. Um, so, I would say, what's have you met with any of the students yet?
0: Not yet. No. Okay.
1: okay. That one's
0: going to be for a later question then. I don't have any <laughs> more questions yet. Then. <laughs> All right. So part two, we will have a more in-depth conversation about my experience in the classroom. Yes. I can't wait. Um, part two will be incredible because we will have the opportunity to bring in the experience that you are going to have in creating culture um, in Louisiana school. And I will be doing the same from the South Bronx in New York City. Yes. I yeah. love it. All right. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you for coming back for another episode. And I can't wait to hear what you guys thought. Have a great one.